Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Can an artist survive in a world hell-bent on commodifying them? Can an artist thrive in that environment? Kristen Hirsch describes how she did just that, how she's doing just that. She's best known for her work with Throwing Muses. Her solo albums are great. Uh, She right now is at work on another 50-foot wave project, and to hear her describe that is such a joy. In fact, this entire interview for me is an absolute joy. The way she approaches her job, our job, the way she approaches music and what it really means, and I won't try and... I won't try and give you even a, a nutshell version of where she lands just because I think she does such a great job. I don't want to do her th- a disservice. And I hope that you'll listen to the whole interview and hear her talk about making music, like real music that isn't a commercial, that is a piece of music. And you grab it as it flies by and it means something to you. I just... I loved this talk with Kristen Hirsch. I feel like I woke up with uh, darkness shrouding my my psyche and my heart. And now, you know, less than an hour later, I'm sitting here feeling like uh, I just got to, I don't know. I'm, I know this sounds like hyperbole, but I just, I feel like I got to glimpse the divine I do think there's something really brilliant about living a life where you're really present and honest in it and where you try and bring that honesty to everything you do. And I just think that Kristen Hirsch does a great job of that. So I am I feel very lucky to have her on this newest episode of Wheels Off. Please welcome Kristen Hirsch. Welcome to Wheels Off, Kristen Hirsch. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? I am really good. Thank you for having me. 
course. And, and um, for, for the edification of our listeners, from where are you joining us? Providence, Rhode Island. Nice. Is it a chilly day up there? It is a chilly freaking day. Yeah. I, I'm a little bit over it, and I don't want to be that guy, but I got to say, I'm ready for the flowers. <laughs> oh, man. Um <laughs> So we have a little we have all these squirrels that visit in the morning that come to the kitchen window and I want to say they knock on it, but I don't know that they have knuckles. They just stand in front of it with their little paws up at the window and kind of bang. But that's an honor, right? There are five of them and they show up and we open the window and they come in and they have nuts and apples and stuff. And uh, today they're locked out because it, it's like freaking two out there. It's like I love yeah. squirrels, but it's not worth it. <laughs> so you let them into your home. Yes, they're wonderful. I mean, they're, they're not excited to be there. They they were drawn in by nuts that not love of me. <laughs> I don't know yet, but they're they're close. They don't have opinions about your catalog. They don't have any opinions at all, except uh, as regards <laughs> nuts and the proximity to humans. <laughs> um. So what what uh, what creative project are you working on at the moment and how does it light you up? Um, I just finished a 50 foot wave record. Do you know who that is? Yeah. I have a noise rock band and uh, we, we were formed as a response to a bunch of songs that needed this sonic treatment, which is, you know, how anything should go. But we also wanted to test our theory that music doesn't belong in the music business. And so we've been a cooperative this whole time and people donating their time and if we make money by playing live then right on everybody gets some but as you know copies are not where the money is to be made anymore and so we started giving everything away giving music away and not trying for attention and hoping kind of not to get attention just to, to see where how far we could push that experiment and so when you when you start trying to sell the anti-attention philosophy people <laughs> for our, the first reaction is what the hell are you talking about why are you in this business at all and then the second is no no i get it this is awesome we have to put anti-attention on the radio we have to put anti-attention in a movie <laughs> put anti-attention in a magazine and it's like no 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 <laughs> We have to get to the point where everybody plays their own music and isn't showing off, isn't trying to impress, isn't egoic in that pursuit, right? So 50 Foot Wave is as close as I could get. And everything we do is like, it looks like we're shooting ourselves in the foot. This this particular shooting and these particular feet is uh, an, an album full of songs that are all like over six minutes long, which <laughs> just means... Not only will radio not play it, but no one is going to sit through it. <laughs> wow, that's so fascinating. So do you do you actively try and keep it out of people's hands or out of people's? <laughs> not really. I just figure I don't want to manipulate any listeners who don't need this. If it's medicine, then only some people are going to need it and other people will get sick if you feed it to them. And other people are just not going to be interested. And I've always hoped that we could refine our audiences as musicians, all of us, so that we have that true circular breathing where they're giving to us and we're giving to them. 
And if nobody's listening, then right on, you're a tree or something. Just deal. <laughs> and 50 foot wave is as close as I've gotten to that because by the time we began, we were too old to be fooled or bossed around. And now it's only music, only what music tells us to do. If we're lucky enough to stop the music in its tracks and rehearse it, record it, play it live, then that's for sharing. But music is, we say piece of music because it's just there. If you're lucky if you can grab a little piece of it. <laughs> piece. And so a 50 foot wave is a non-going pursuit of more like listening and then reflecting that sound that we hear. And if anybody hears it, it's probably because they need it. We, we don't dress up and tell you that you should like this because you probably won't. <laughs> we're not going to dress up anyway. <laughs> and then the making of the music itself, the thing that it does to us when we make it is, is it giving you that? I mean, is it maybe giving you that more because it's got less expectation of return? Yeah. What a lovely way of putting it. Because if you are truly inspired, then you're trying to recreate the moment of there's there's no word for musical response. If with com my comedian friends are looking for laughter and they can go for cheap laughs or they can go for deep laughs and they know the difference. But we can't say laugh at this because it's so heavy and uh, it's not more complex than laughter. It's but it's just as visceral. And if we try to cre create that response that we first lived through in the initial inspiration in the listener, then um, we shouldn't be lying at any stage of that offering. You know, then you're just farther and farther away from recreating that moment, what it does for us, as you put it. God, that's so brilliant. There's a, a, a thing that comes up. I've done 100 plus of these wheels off interviews with creative people about the act and the life and all that. And one thing that comes up over and over again is this idea that when you calculate as part of your creative process, it sullies the process, right? Like if you're trying to figure out what the audience wants or you're trying to trick them into liking it, that inevitably taints it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if not destroys it. And I would sort of question your validity as someone who should be publishing if you are considering that. And there is a, a giving nature at play when someone suggests that art and entertainment uh, are readily combined. I, I do appreciate that. I think mostly because I'm not made that way. <laughs> I'm entertained by music I would consider art, by laughter that I would consider deep. So I wouldn't have separated them in the first place, but there is admittedly a kind of selling that happens in this pseudo culture. It's really an economy, um, but we work within it, you know, and fair enough. Um, that is not unattractive, this idea that you have the audience's heart in mind when you give. But if you think I need to impress, I need to manipulate, I need to fool them, and they will all look at me and I will help the big money buy the spotlight and shine it on me, you should be asking what the hell is me? Where is your work? <laughs> and what is yourself? And if yourself isn't disappearing, 
for the work, then stop with the spotlight, stop with the money and start with the work, start with the, the focus. It, you know, and I, I definitely fall down in that sphere because I'm not a performer. I just, I might as well be typing up there for all that I tapped. <laughs> and I have never once changed my clothes to go up on a stage. <laughs> but I, if I'm selling, then I'm selling focus. And if you don't like that, then, you know, you go buy something else, which is what they do. <laughs> wow. I love this. It's so funny. This, uh, you know, um, it's not like these uh, interviews have become repetitive or Groundhog Day-esque, but the, the, to hear something <laughs> like this come up where it's never really come up in such a succinct way that it, in the way that you're stating it, it's so great to me. And it's like a slap in the face. I really, really love it. This is fantastic. Aww. Well, it's a relief when you find people that speak this to speak what aesthetics i don't know or I, I, everything has been so co-opted it's even difficult to use vocabulary in a way that gets a selflessness across in what we call the entertainment industry which is has become the opposite and it's it cheapens the human experience you, you get in an uber and you meet a genius yeah every time <laughs> yeah go outside and you meet another heart they're they're not right about the human experience they're selling a product and we have to sort of square peg uh truth into that uh, truth is a bad word too i don't know <laughs> i know it's, it's, it's funny because you're doing something that's that's noble and difficult and big and then inevitably when i think you when you talk about stuff like that you run the risk of feeling at least like you're sounding pretentious or something yes but really the there is no pretense yeah you know i'm not pretending to do anything i don't do the pretense would be in an industry that sells sexist product for example mm -hmm. it, the pretense is that there could ever be anything truthful or artful by manipulating others or diminishing the performers or the listeners selfhood in any way the insult that's not entertaining that's just a commercial that's why they call it commercial music <laughs> it's a commercial it's not music <laughs> so so it's it's amazing that this is where you've landed after or not after but um this deep into like such an incredible career and i i wonder when it was starting did you did you always know there it was going to be music for you? Was there an epiphany moment when you were a little kid? Did you um, have other careers you thought you might spiral off into? And now those are just untaken paths. Uh, how did it start for you? Do you remember? Yeah, I, I was um, raised by Southern Baptists from Lookout Mountain in Chattanooga, Tennessee, who uh, became hippies in a day. And uh, I don't know what how much they were rejecting as much as just adopting. <laughs> so I they moved into a commune and took me to Woodstock, stuff like that. So I heard um, acid rock and uh, Appalachian folk songs as a kid. And you know, my dad was that hippie thing that knows three chords so he can play any Bob Dylan or Neil Young song. <laughs> he was that guy. <laughs> and told me never to touch his guitar. 
so I was obsessed with it, obviously, and it sat behind a couch. And when I started going to school, instead of hanging out with hippies all day, I would come home and I needed it more, but I wasn't allowed to touch it. So I would just stare at it. Then I knew where it was hidden. It was on the couch. <laughs> so I'd like carefully open the case and just stare at it. And he finally said, all right, I'll teach you some chords. And he taught me like those Bob Dylan chords. And I was like, well, where are the good ones? You know, <laughs> you taught me primary colors. I want to know like burgundy, aquamarine, ochre, like show me the good chords. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, you just show me red, blue and yellow. Everybody knows that. I want to know the real colors. So show me. And he said, other people don't hear music in colors. I was like, what? That's all it is, is color. And he just handed me the guitar and said, okay, it's yours, play colors. And I was nine. So I started playing colors and thought, I'm all about this. This is my passion, you know? And so I took classical guitar uh, for years and years and it just buried my musical voice, I guess. It's like another pretentious thing to say, but it did. I was following the rules and it, I had become so passionate about it as a hobby that I lost the sonic vocabulary I would have had if I'd never heard radio. Or, and so I, I immediately stopped playing classical music and tried to get my voice back. And I figured I, I ended up with some combination of what had been played on the commune, like Appalachian folk songs and acid rock. And that's kind of what throwing muses sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> but I, at one point I had to choose between, um, you know, having grown up on a commune, everybody was like on acid and I didn't know what was going on. They, they were pointing out ostriches to me that weren't there and they were feeding the rats and saying that, you know, they weren't there, but they were. There's just an odd sort of dreamlike childhood, but with everybody nice, you know, hippies are nice. And they put a um, they put a, a parachute on the ceiling of the main room that was supposed to say be together on it. But the the dude who wrote it was like up on a ladder and he was confused and he was really high. So he wrote, be a tog eater. And then <laughs> we all lived under like <laughs> it's like this needle point. Like, love charm of be a tog eater and my dad dude still signs his postcard be a tog eater love dude um so i wanted everything to make sense and when i i started college when i was young and just threw myself into science it's like this is this is gonna make sense nobody's gonna be on drugs <laughs> no more rats no more ostriches and, and uh I had to choose between a scholarship to study medicine and a recording contract when I was 18, 19. Um, and I, you know, I've always regretted that, of course. <laughs> I chose music until very recently. I thought I was allowed to break more rules here. Ah, wow. That's incredible. And so, did you did you honestly regret the choice? Was it something that you came back to during really difficult times uh, in the over the years and think, I wish I had done this or or is it 
is it sort of a, a fun punchline to say? Because I mean, your your work has been so incredible and unarguably great, and you know, you seem like a really happy person. But <laughs> but I but I wonder, like, is it something that you really go back to and and think about? Is it an honest regret? Yeah, you're very kind to ask. It was hard to raise four kids um, in such a sexist business. I, I can't think of any other way to say it. When I, you know, I started with an indie, and I, I didn't, I didn't think that I even knew anyone who wanted to succeed, as in counting units sold and signing to corporate labels and I was literally surrounded by people who wanted to do exactly that <laughs> I just didn't realize it I thought we were all about music like in Boston we would play with six bands and we'd like Pixies and Dinosaur Jr and Volcano Sons and, and and people would just join the audience and then get up on stage and play and then I just thought yay music and maybe that was true for some of us <laughs> wasn't true for others. They all wanted to be rock stars. <laughs> so you, you just kind of find yourself tucked into, well, better music that doesn't stock is on the radio. I don't know. I ended up on Warner Brothers and immediately realized, okay, I'm going to take your money and make records with it, but there's no way in hell I'm going to display this damaging message that women are underweight, dumb, made up, flirting with cameras, like, this is not music. And, and it's really asocial. You're, you're, you're trying to gather more money by denigrating half the population and insulting the other half. Where's the music? And they're like, oh, no, no, we don't want music. <laughs> and it's interesting to do a deal with the devil. He tells you the truth. They're not interested in music because if they attracted music listeners, they could no longer tell them what they liked. So they don't, they don't want me to play music. They don't want anyone to listen to music. <laughs> and I said, well, I gotta go. You know, you, you, you don't want me. And there are thousands of chicks behind me willing to do what you want. And they said, yeah, yeah, we know that. You're here so that they'll sign with us. And just like well that's equal and they're like yeah it's like well could you could you not <laughs> like why do you sell crap in the first place and they say because crap sells it's like but only because you sell crap imagine if you got behind music and each individual would say yeah and they had these great record collections in their offices and they'd say that would be awesome but i'm going to lose my job in six months so i'm going to make as much as i can before that and Fuck everybody. And it's like, you know what? I don't feel like fuck everybody. Uh, and it was, it took years and years for me to escape. But um, I traded my first solo album in exchange for my freedom from my contractual freedom from Warner Brothers. And, uh, you know, it's, I don't have to whine about it. It's just a dirty business. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I often regretted not having followed a path that could have made more sense. It was not so elaborately goofy as this industry, but I think this needs, this industry needs more help than science. <laughs> 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 I might as well be here. 
helping. They don't want help. <laughs> Do you feel like because you you just described almost to a T my experience um, in really? the nine in the '90s in the music industry? I was. Can at you talk more about that? I need. Well, that. Um, I was I was at Electra from '96 to '02, and it was. Um, you know, they they said the same thing to me, like, we want you here. Uh, we don't expect you to sell records, but we're going to let you make another one and then another right. one, because then we can basically they didn't say this. But what you're 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 making me realize that they were they knew exactly what they were doing. They wanted to trick people then into signing because, well, look, we, we put out the really? old 90, we put out the old 97s and they don't sell anything. So we must be honest, good. Yes, we must be artful. And yeah, if you could water this down, if you could be a sound like this sounds like style without substance would be great. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. And they're right. But yeah. they're doomed. At one point they played as third eye blind and they said, can't you do this? I was like, I don't know. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, that that thing. Maybe it maybe it's gonna topple, you know, copies are not the be all and end all. And it's funny how often the populace, as musically illiterate as they can be, because they've only heard product and not music, they still seem to as as a school of fish or a flock of birds they will grope for what they lack. They have this intuitive sense that they lack, um, say, real women or real music or intelligent literature or a movie that reflects their own experience. And these things will sort of slip into popular culture in spite of all of us. And, and sometimes they'll, they'll accept the diluted stylized version of the substance because like how does somebody like daniel johnston get so popular <laughs> it's because they're they're realizing we we lack the raw we haven't heard from the so-called crazy we we have dis disallowed childhood in our continued the continuum of our experience we have uh, certainly denigrated the feminine, the true feminine, which would be in everything, and men, the darkness, the mystery, uh, the health, the earth, anything natural. Uh, so they start to get hungry for it. And yeah, you never know. It's, it's like there's still room for us, just enough room for us to eke by on the low hanging fruit. Maybe it's always been that way. But living through the 90s, as you said, that that was particularly uh, illustrative of the problem. And and I wonder if because it did coincide with sort of the last gasp of that business model. And then in the early aughts, everything, the bottom fell out. Right. And I remember I remember thinking when the when the bottom fell out in the aughts and the money was not there for selling, you know, file sharing, all so that stuff. Sad. Yeah. But so I but I, I remember thinking. Okay, well, finally, we we can live in a world where it's not a cabal of old white men in a you know Warner Brothers boardroom on the twenty seventh floor deciding okay. who's going to make music music and um yeah I, I don't but I don't think that I don't think that happened though right like I I keep looking for that and and it it was 
it feels like it got replaced by social media. And now it's not the cabal of old men. Now it's the faceless mob on the internet that you have to please. The mob is a frightening psychology, as we know. And yet to scatter it thusly <laughs> is, is kind of charming. It may be that our dust hasn't yet settled. Like they're still about the 90s. You know, it didn't really stop. There were the decades stopped defining themselves around then and everything was scattered in this popular culture effect where there's we don't yet we haven't yet achieved grassroots, but it's not top down anymore either because they lost their shirts. So we're, we're just looking at all these people who are supposed to be selling themselves in in their opinion it's like here's my selfie oh my god <laughs> don't don't catch me with fomo you know i'm in i'm in and but they're not looking at anything no one is telling them what to watch anymore we used to have three tv channels a few top 40 hits and we were all supposed to be watching the same movie that just disappeared really fast and we have not encouraged the um, the focus that it would take to have our own opinions. So they're they're getting there maybe, but right now they they're realizing that they're empty shells, <laughs> and they have not been playing music for themselves. They haven't been finding their own books or their own films, or even their own animals like dog breeds come and go. It's, women ha are still subject to typing like oh well your body type's not in right now so you are unloved you know your dna won't continue you can't get a job you can't pay rent <laughs> we'll get there because people have met women human beings but we're still stuck on these 2d images of everything and i don't know if we'll see it in our lifetime oh my god well i I didn't really, I didn't know what to expect getting to meet you today. And, and I just, I'm so gratified to hear you talk so real about this stuff. And obviously you think so deeply about it. I'm really just, thank you. This is freaking great. I needed this. I need Christina. all the teammates I can get. Yeah. I write books about this stuff. And I'm just like, poof. <laughs> <It's gone. laughs> so I, I, I really, I like to ask um guests about the not necessarily the internally generated obstacles that you come up against um the stuff that's the voices in your head that try and uh keep you down or tell you that you're bad not i mean i feel like we all have those my discovery is that so far everyone i've spoken to does i wonder more about what you do about them i wonder if you've come up with uh, secrets as to tricks as to way to get past it. Um, what have you figured out as the way to get beyond the voices in your head, the internally generated? Wow, what obstacles? a great question! You ask everybody that. I do. Do they get scared? <laughs> no, maybe. <laughs> usually, I get usually I get a, a laugh and then and then like a glib response and then a moment later like something less. Oh wow! You must know so much about people no. <laughs> you just put them on the spot and say that <laughs> oh you have kids you know that i cheated i i raised my little brother and then i had uh, my first 
son when I was a teenager and I've been raising little boys ever since. And I made, you know, four straight white males, as they say, you might as well be a Republican mom. (laughs) But what I actually made was four little Buddhist bells to just keep reminding me, this is all there is and this is everything there is. So you can't lose sight of that. A biological imperative telling you that um, you are humble. How how could you be anything else? And you're honored and you're grateful and you're terrified and you're strong and you're weak and your heart muscle is at play in every venture and every moment. And so I cheated. I, I don't have voices in my head. I have voices in the room, in my house. <laughs> and they're always telling the truth, which is not encouraged in other spheres. You know, I, I will allow for the, the glib response to the moment of terror, but I cheated. And so I win. <laughs> <laughs> and you did too. Like, you know what it's like, the difference between uh, thinking you're the story and realizing you could never possibly be the story is uh, it's just huge and so great. That's it's liberating. Yes. Who would want to be the story? <laughs> Although, ironically, I mean, it's it's the, the culture and the algorithm is pushing everyone to be the story. I mean, literally on Instagram, there's the story. Feed the yes. story. Yeah, you, 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 right? Me, me, me. Well, that's going to have to crack open. It already makes people really nervous for a good reason. So, But they'd have to look at it. it. It's probably a stage in a process like everything. And we'll begin to see people fall away from the impression that they need to sell an image for one or make an impression. We're, we're sort of discouraging the listening and uh the strength at at this point like if you look at the difference between this pandemic and the 1918 pandemic uh they the the first one obviously affected children and young adults and was a much more serious (laughs) attack on human beings and human culture and it was you know just as widespread and this time there were a lot of people saying, my grandfather might die, <laughs> not me. <laughs> and whereas the earlier generation, I talked to some people who said, uh, my aunt lived with us, I never knew why. It was because her whole family was killed. Her husband and all of her children died. She never discussed it. It was a stoic generation. Not that one is right and one wrong. It's just these balances, these cultural balances, you find uh, you can, be quick to judge when they're very noisy. And I think it's, that's not the American experience. It's not even the Western experience. It's just a human thing to be out of balance sometimes. And we're encouraging it right now. Um, but they'll get bored. They'll want other things. And you and I kind of have to be there, right? Yeah. But it's better to be cool there than not there at all, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the, this leads me to the the final question where I ask you, I've, 
You've you've shared a lot of wisdom. I ask you to try and distill it. Imagine a 21-year-old version of yourself um, in today's world. And I wonder what advice might you give 21-year-old Kristen? Wow. I didn't even think I was going to make it to 21. Nevertheless, yeah. I mean, much less however old I am now. <laughs> it's, I have... Um, I have kids that age and I don't know what to tell them. I had this idea like every other parent that you could live their mistakes for them. And uh, turns out you can't. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> so now I live their successes with them and I keep telling them there's no such thing as a mistake. So I guess that's the only advice I have for anybody that age. <laughs> that's great. Uh, I feel like I've learned so much today. I can't wait to tell my teenagers, by the way, that they're my little Buddhist bells. That'll make them so happy. It's it's amazing. I know that you know people love animals similarly. These animals can talk. They can tell you what it's like <laughs> to just land here and have to work your body parts and we have these uh you know the complexity of play in a, a human you watch it you watch the dendritic formations like tree branches form in their neural pathways and you think oh dear lord like what <laughs> happened to you <laughs> we're too complex and and then they remind you no 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 we're still gonna just ride a bike down a hill and and we will be enlightened when we do so but that's a really good lesson to get. Like every time I pick up a guitar, just ride a bike downhill. It's like whatever happens afterwards, not your concern. <laughs> oh my gosh. I you know what? I I can't wait for people to hear this. I feel like I have gotten so much joy from listening to you talk today. This is so uh, great. You too. I needed a teammate. It's like yeah. I, I, it doesn't have to be lonely, but it kind of is because we have to. Yeah, you know, we're we're humbled again because we have to sell. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> well, it, when the thing that's inside of us balks at the, I, I had an image pop into my head, and since it's not an interview of me earlier, I just just I saved it. Thought I, but 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 if if it's all right, I'll. You made me think of this image where the way, especially in the '90s, but maybe that's just when we were in our 20s and they were actively most selling us yeah i had this image of an artist um being told by the corporation or whatever that they were going to sell off chunks of them to feed to this hungry whatever buying public and that once they had sold all the chunks of the artist the artist would be so rich and the artist only realizing as the final chunk is sold that there's no more artist anymore. Oh my God. I think I just willed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a Thich Nhat Hanh story where he says there's going to be one tree left and all the rich people are going to try to own it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I did a, a songwriters convention with my youngest son. Um, it was like a week where I had to play shows every night and sit on panels and things. And I'm sure you've done the same. Uh, and it was, there was something so, 
it wasn't demystifying anything. It was doing the opposite. It was, uh, I don't know, there was a game going on. There was a play and I had not read the script. And I said to my little boy, like, what is going on here? What, what is this awful feeling? And he said, it's Hunger Games. <laughs> he just sat me down to watch in the hotel room and, uh, it's like, oh my God, it is. So all of these musicians are kissing up to the rich people that don't want to have to live the lives that we have lived, where, which are kind of on the line at all times, emotionally, physically, financially, everything. And they're sort of paying to see us go through this humanity shit that they don't have to. <laughs> and all the other musicians are like dressed up. There's like a fashion thing. And they're trying to sell that to the rich people, this like their own humanity. So yeah, you're right, it's real. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yes, I I hadn't thought of it like that, but yeah, it's it's a it's a crazy experience, but it's still worthwhile. I mean, you still spent all last week in the studio making music, you know. Yes. I'm I'm going in right now. and I feel lucky every time. I've had friends who got safer than me, like by, you know, they would do like, here's the one dumb song for radio. And I, I couldn't really get behind that. It's like, you mean everybody's gonna watch you be dumb? <laughs> and also, that's really bad. Don't do it, it's damaging. But they knew what they were doing and they got real safe. And they all say, now, I'm just trying to get back in the van. It's like I've been trying to get back in the van for 30 years. And I'm like, well, you know, it's parked out front. I'm still in the van. <laughs> I never left. And they're like, yeah, well, they weren't letting you out. <laughs> but it means that every time you get to go into the studio, you're like, oh, my God. Imagine if it were a pain in the ass. How how sad that would be. How boring. How numbing. Yeah. But, you know, we still get to try and connect and when you don't you're furious it's like oh god i've let everything down there should be you should be on the line like that it should be hunger games and nobody watching (laughs) (laughs) that's life right (laughs) oh this is so great i feel like i could do a whole series just talking to you that would be fun and we can go (laughs) off to work and we know what we were doing Kristen, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you have a great day in the studio today. And I thank you, sweetheart. I just you are a beam of light. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you so much for sharing your morning, sweetheart. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, As the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. 
Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, peer pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.